Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by guest Luke Willis. Luke, welcome back to the show. Glad to be here, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Luke's our resident crypto expert. <laughs> and uh, I'm on your excellent mailing list and you sent out a, a post about inflation and sound money and uh, the invisible tax and so forth. But before we get into that, could you tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so uh, I am a, uh, a developer by trade and I've spent the last year and a half or so focusing on uh, blockchain development. And so um, I've been building decentralized apps and um, writing about my experiences, writing about broader topics like inflation and money and uh, culture and a lot of different things uh, in a daily newsletter, which I stole the format entirely from Jonathan and uh, started a, a podcast as well, just because I wanted to talk to smart people in the space. And it's been a very edifying experience. So um, right now I'm focusing my time on uh, building apps and uh, just writing in between. Cool. And, you know, as as folks know, as you know, that this isn't really, it's not at all a crypto show, but it is very much about value and the sort of shared belief in money and i i love crypto as an example because it's such a it's such a volatile uh, illustration of that concept yeah well what maybe you could summarize if if you can remember that far back about <laughs> what that email was about and we can kind of go from there sure yeah and i want to comment on on your your point about crypto I think it's true. Crypto gets a bad rap, but it's really useful as a tool for understanding economics, I'd say, just because it really pulls back the curtain on a lot of things that are opaque in the real world with you know government fiat systems and everything that goes along with that. Um, but when you dig into crypto, all the same forces are at play, but there's nowhere to hide. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, for, for the post that we're talking about today, um, I wrote about sound money and basically, um, the, the concept of sound money is, um, money that doesn't lose value. It's, it's stable. And, uh, typically the, the source of instability in your money is inflation, um, and you know we we have examples in history of currencies that have hyperinflated and been completely worthless after just a short amount of time um but even in fairly standard you know 3 5 you know in the US right now 7% uh inflationary periods it's still a, an effect that changes um your ability to rely on the money over time and so that inflation, um, a lot of people just think of it as like the increase in prices, right? It's, uh, you know, my my gallon of milk used to cost me $3 and now it costs me $4. So, you know, that, there's inflation happening. I, I don't know why it's happening. Uh, all I know is that my money doesn't go as far. Right. And uh, by definition, inflation is just an increase in the money supply. So for take the US dollar, for example, um, 
increasing the money supply just means running the money printers, right? And so if you're uh, a normal consumer, you have some money in your bank account, you're buying things, maybe you're selling things, um, you don't really see that, right? None of those printed dollars ever hit your account. Uh, so it doesn't seem real, right? It, it's all happening outside of you. Uh, but what's happening is basically because there's more dollars, there's more supply. So there's the, the supply and demand works out that when uh, when somebody goes to sell uh, that in the post, I talked about an apple farmer. And uh, if you're selling your crop for a dollar per pound for the year and uh, you're you're hoping that that's going to get you to the next year's harvest, um, you're going to find that with seven percent inflation, your your numbers were off because you were planning on three percent inflation. And so you've already sold all of your produce for the year. So now uh, when it comes time to pay your workers, buy fertilizer, do whatever it is you're going to do, now you have your expenses going up higher than you expected. So now you have a shortfall. So the the prices of things go up when the money supply goes up. And this forces you to now increase your prices. And so it's just kind of the vicious cycle that spins and um, like it's, you can plan around it to an extent, but when inflation is not a, uh, a known entity uh, at a rate that you can predict, it gets hard to, to work around inflation as a, uh, as a, a person in the economy. Mm. Um, so really like I would love if the rate of inflation in the US was just predictable, if nothing else. You know, I'm I'm not asking anybody to get rid of inflation entirely, but it'd be great if I could say, you know, for the next year it's going to be three percent, five percent, whatever it's gonna be. Just tell me how much you're gonna print and then I can plan around that. Mm. So let's dive into that a little bit. So I understand all of this in theory, but one yeah. thing that I've never understood about the, the printing money leading to inflation, which I first, which I first heard talked, well, I've heard talked about, but but the the most compelling argument, or I guess I would say proof that I've seen of this direct correlation is a, an old talk by Milton Friedman, where mm -hmm. he he goes through like like twenty global economies, and every single time is like the 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 government prints more money and boom inflation goes up but here's the right. thing i have never understood is where does it enter the economy mm, like yeah. like if the if the government printed a trillion dollars tomorrow and then mm -hmm. burned it like there would be no change right it has to right. enter the economy somewhere correct so, so yeah where does it enter the economy yeah so my understanding of that is uh it mainly goes through banks, um, a lot of times through loans to, you know, whoever it is that gets loans, <laughs> um, or uh, it would be in additional investment from the banks to um, businesses. Mm -hmm. So uh, because there's an influx of dollars available, that means that you know, more people have money to buy things. So whether that's the employees of the people of the businesses being invested in, or um, the people who are getting the loans to you know, pay for home renovations or whatever, they have 
more dollars in their hands so they can buy more goods. So now there's fewer goods available and there's more dollars available. So it, it just, it, it spins from there. That makes sense, I guess. And, and, and certainly smarter people than me believe that this is true and can point to evidence. So I'm not even arguing, I wouldn't even argue that, that there is a direct correlation there. The, the, <laughs> the, I guess the, the next thing that I think is that, uh, I don't know who said this, but I, I read, and this did make sense to me, that the government wants there to always be like 2 or 3% inflation so that the the money supply doesn't remain static, mm. so, that, yeah. so that it is losing value, which is going to incentivize people to not stuff it under their mattress, but to do something with it. Because I, right. I think it would be fair to say that a an important feature of a currency is that it is exchanged easily and quickly and a lot and mm -hmm. frequently, I guess. So yeah, growing up, I was, you know, I grew up in the seventies and inflation was really bad. Right. And it was, it was just a bad thing. Like I, in my mind, it was like inflation bad and right, right. because that's how it's framed. And then, so it was interesting when I heard like, oh, like a low inflation rate does kind of create uh, an incentive to use the money that you have instead of just sitting on it, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because if if the if there was in a deflation, so if your money was increasing value, not from interest, but just sitting there, and what do I mean by that? If it was increasing in value in your in, under your bed, mm -hmm. meaning that today I've got a hundred dollars under my bed, and that will buy me some amount of food, and then tomorrow it will buy me twice as much food, and the day after that it will buy me three times as much food. Right. I'm probably not going to want to spend it because right. then it's like, well, if I spend it now. And this is this is one of the things I love about crypto is because this becomes so obvious, right? Right. You know, I bought a pizza in in two thousand and six. If I hadn't bought the pizza, I'd be a billionaire now, right? Right. So I should have sat on it. So you don't want people sitting on it like hoarding money. That's mm -hmm. bad for the economy. Anyway, I just wanted to make that point of that inflation is no, not absolutely. necessarily bad. It's a really good point. Um, the because you're right. Yeah, crypto is this is a big problem for crypto if crypto wants to be money um people sit on it because they expect it to go up in value and you know if laws were passed to make bitcoin legal tender it would go up in value <laughs> because people would be like oh great now i can use it as money and then they wouldn't use it as money um so it's a it's a problem for for currencies that are sound right if you're if you're highly, uh, you know, if, if you're not inflationary or if you're even deflationary, um, people can just stuff it in their bank account or their wallet and uh, never, never touch it and earn value for that. You know, you used to be able to buy one gallon of milk. Now you can buy two just because you did nothing. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like an economy and uh, encouraging people to do things in the economy, rewarding people for doing nothing is generally not a great thing <laughs> mm -hmm. right you want to reward people for doing things that are valuable to everyone else right um so inflation does do that right it, it encourages participation and it encourages using the money um but it also means that you don't want the money <laughs> right shorting the dollar is a really good bet and to short the dollar you take out a loan um, so if you anticipate that the rate of inflation is going to be at least 3% for the next 30 years, 
getting a 30-year mortgage at a 3% interest rate is a great idea. So you're you're basically saying, I will continue to pay um, basically $0 increased value as long as inflation matches my interest rate. And if inflation goes above my interest rate, I win. So, you know, planning for- Yeah, because I got the money cheaper. Exactly. Yeah, you right. got the money cheaper. And, and and the government does this to a very large extent. I mean, if you look at the, the national debt, it's how many trillions of dollars. <clears throat> it's a very interesting phenomenon when you both control that debt and have the ability to print the money. <laughs> right. right? right. Um, if, if you ever have the opportunity to create a currency where you can get a bank to loan you money in that currency and you can still control the printers of that money, that mm. is a fantastic deal. Yeah. And that's every like ICO. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what's the difference? Well, we can get into the whole, you know, secured by guns thing, but, <laughs> sure. but let's, let's not even bother with that. Cause the, the, the thing that I think is more interesting is the, I kind of, you know, it's a crypto newsletter, right? So, so right. maybe that's a, maybe that's an overstatement, but, um, <laughs> you, if it felt a little bit like, I don't think you said this in the post, but it felt a little bit like the implication was that crypto solves this, but mm. I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, that, that's, that's a good point. I'm actually doing a series right now to, to talk through, um, you know, the, the properties of money and, and does crypto solve this? Um, I, I personally actually think the answer is crypto could solve this. Um, there's, you can build all of the features of money into cryptocurrency. Um, but I don't think that cryptocurrency as it stands today, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, the popular ones, at least, mm -hmm. I don't think they make good money. Right. I wouldn't want an economy that lived solely on Bitcoin personally. Mm -hmm. I know I have readers that would probably disagree with me, mm -hmm. um, but the there's benefit as a government to have control over the money, to have inflation, to have money that's not ultrasound, um, because it gives you more tools to control the economy. Now that the whole ethos of cryptocurrency is that it can't be controlled, right? It's it's decentralized. Everybody has a say in what it does. Um, it's kind of ultimate democracy because nobody can control it. It's not like you're an, you're electing a representative who gets to say, nobody gets to say. You get to have a vote and then your vote counts and everybody has to agree for anything to happen, mm -hmm. um, which is cool, but things don't move very fast in an environment like that, right? Yeah. It's novel. So, it's certainly interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The, do you, so do you, is the premise that, well, see, the thing is the properties of the, let's just call it the technology mm -hmm. are super interesting, novel, new thing, public ledger, very cool. Uh, but it like immutable public ledger, very interesting concept, mm -hmm. but doesn't it boil down to belief, right? Like everybody needs to believe that whatever the store value is, it could be a gift, Amazon gift card, that mm -hmm. tomorrow someone will take it in exchange for some amount. Like it has buying power. Right. Right. And so, so right now, crypto is like, it's just, it has been all along super volatile. Right. So you, you, you just like unpredictably, 
uh, roller coaster of, you know, if you had a significant amount of your net worth in Bitcoin, you're probably having a very interesting couple of years. I'm sure. <laughs> so I feel like anything that is going to anything that was the thing that was the the I mean, I suppose Bitcoiners would want Bitcoin to be the the only I don't know. I actually don't know this, but but it would need to be something that is a lot less volatile. I because every it would feel like every going to the grocery store would feel like day trading. Right, right. Yeah. And that's that's the problem, right? Because of the the instability of crypto, it doesn't make good money, right? You don't want to work hard one day and then go to the store the next day and find out that you have nothing. And you don't want to do the inverse either and find out you're a billionaire, right? <laughs> I mean, that'd be great, but then, you know, things go up and down and it's it's no way to live a life, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, having money that is more or less stable is really important for an economy. Yeah. Um, and that is, it's interesting because <clears throat> there's nothing preventing crypto from having that stability. It's really, it's kind of an adoption thing. It's chicken and the egg here where people have speculated on it. They say, oh, it's going to go up in value. So there's a lot of speculative value baked into it, but there's not a lot of people are actually using this <laughs> value in it because what can you buy with Bitcoin? Well, dollars, right? You can yeah. trade it for cash. There are some stores where you can buy things with Bitcoin, um, but it's at the the dollar rate, right? It, mm -hmm. It's not priced in Bitcoin. You can't buy a Tesla for one Bitcoin, regardless of the price of Bitcoin, you know? Right. Um, so it is, you're stuck with the dollar. You're still forced into that because that is the medium of exchange that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. It's what everything is priced in. And so, yeah, if the entire US economy said, forget the dollar, we're all gonna transact in Bitcoin, we're all gonna price things in Bitcoin, yeah, I mean, that would that would provide the stability because you could day over day get a gallon of milk for point whatever bitcoins and that would be a much more stable environment so so now we're just talking about are the properties of cryptocurrency more desirable than the properties of fiat currency and in certain applications yeah i do think that it is better um if you were to start a country with a cryptocurrency from the beginning that would be very interesting um but I don't believe that we're going to get there in any large scale uh, economy like the US, uh, just because there's so much interest tied up in the dollar that it, it just doesn't make sense to me in, in, any, <laughs> in any believable um, turn of events. Right. So, so let's unpack this a little bit. So like the, the title of the post was Sound Money, and it seems mm -hmm. like the implication is that the fact that the government can create inflation makes the the money unsound makes the dollar unsound right but if inflation might be good like what mm -hmm. do you like i mean you have to imagine people are people smarter than us or at least maybe <laughs> yeah. not smarter but with their like the ability to actually do something about it directly mm -hmm. are certainly having these kinds of conversations right where it's like 
it's like there's probably a strong argument for people that 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 is based on data or good assumptions or you know heart in the right place type of uh, motives that are like if the government couldn't didn't have some kind of you know shock absorber some kind of like way to respond to unexpected events mm-hmm. or to goose the economy or whatever right all hell would break loose and just be like just throw your hands in the air like well that's that's just the way it is you know like right. it would be a little bit it's so different i mean like literally every person alive in the united states is used to prices going up mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I, it almost like i almost can't imagine what it would be like if they didn't it would, <laughs> right. it would be so weird right and then like i wonder what the effect would be because people can still choose so like commodities would would milk would always be two satoshis or whatever right and okay that's interesting but people can still sellers can still set prices for things non-commodity mm. things at whatever price they want so like right. non-commodity things would still fluctuates the wrong word but well no not necessarily like i raise my prices it's not because right. of inflation. <laughs> yeah. It's because the value the value created is higher. So I'm going to raise my prices. Like if you're selling non-commodity goods, mm-hmm. prices would still go up. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're mainly talking about commodities in terms of the impact of zero inflation. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I did say in the post that zero inflation is, it, it sounds nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh but the the impact i would say is not desirable for most economies i, I mean if you look at cryptocurrencies the vast majority have some element of inflation um there are like limits to how much it will inflate there's maybe a, a lifetime cap or something like that um but there is inflation and you know i think bitcoin will inflate for another 100 some odd years and uh because the, the supply is increasing because the supply is increasing yes but then at some point it the the rate of inflation decreases to zero mm-hmm. and then there's no more inflation ever again um so that makes it very interesting to to look at but you know at least in our lifetimes we won't get to see the impact of that inflation going to zero right um, so people are are buying the idea that it will go to zero uh the inflation rate but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that that's a very long-term outlook mm-hmm. so my my desire is that for governments to be upfront about inflation because mm-hmm. in the u.s inflation is it's hidden right yeah like if i go looking for how much money did the u.s print in the year 2022 that's not like readily available i'm sure i could find it if i dug through spreadsheets and tables and stuff but it's not something that people talk about people look at the consumer price index and see that the price of goods went up by x percent um but if you went and it you compared those numbers with the actual increase in the supply of money there should be a very strong correlation over time um so now if you look at at that you can say what's effectively happening is inflation is a form of tax exactly yeah that nobody voted on no one had to take the hit for it 
correct. Yeah, the, the government can raise taxes in that regard easily uh, without having to ask anybody. And so there's there's very little in the way of checks and balances to prevent printing of money. And there's very little to help consumers predict uh, what the rate of inflation will be and how it will impact their lives. So if you're already paying 15, 30, 40% taxes, and then you're also hit with another 7% in inflationary taxes that decrease the value of your money, um, that <laughs> that's not great. Right. Um, so let me let me just kind of for people who are just hearing the concept of inflation as tax for the first time, it's probably not landing. Sure. Do you want to kind of? I mean, it's like it's like government. The government at some point needs money for something, and that's mm -hmm. what taxes are for. And then if they're like, "Well, we need more money," the pol a, a politician doesn't want to say to their constituents, "Okay, I raised the sales tax on milk so that you used to have to pay two dollars, now you have to pay three. That's going to be a very unpopular thing." So instead of that, someone, I don't know who, honestly, is somehow decides, well, we need that money. Nobody wants to take the, 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 take it on the chin from the constituents by, you know, by looking at a $2 gallon of milk that has a dollar of sales tax on top of it, because right. that's going to make, that's going to get someone voted out of office. Right. So somebody else says, or they all get together. I don't know who does it, honestly. And it's just like, <laughs> instead of raising that money through a, a an explicit tax, we'll just print the money that we need. Mm -hmm. And the cost of milk will go up to $3. And everyone will cry about it in the media. But right. no one's going to get blamed directly. Right. Yeah. Is that a fair description? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, the The... The difference is that when you are deciding to to print the money, there's no like secret room, at least as far as I know, where <laughs> the the top officials in government are getting together and saying, let's make it 4% and let's funnel the money here and there, right? What's happening is the uh, you know different sectors of the government are spending money at a deficit. So they're spending more than the actual money that we have. So now there's debt in the government and then a portion of those debts are paid for through inflation so the fed is looking at our debts what's coming due um the the need for money in different areas and deciding to print more or less money so all of the the impacts of a budget being passed are they're felt oh <laughs> i'm sure you can hear my cat uh they're all being felt a little at a time uh as they as they come out right so it, it all flows just just a little bit here a little bit there until eventually the printers turn on and we get more money um and then that's used to fund government spending to pay banks to give more loans to do whatever it is they're going to do so if you would you say that let's say that um uh, a wave of a sort of populist wave of of people got this like everybody gets this now like magic wand everybody gets this and over the course of five ten years the administration is replaced by people who get this and it is illegal in the united states kind of a constitutional amendment that the current money supply is it we're not going to print any more money that is it essentially go back on the gold standard yeah, yeah would would that 
I mean, that's honestly, it sounds a little bit more likely than Bitcoin becoming like the U.S. legal tender. <laughs> I mean, they both seem wildly unlikely, but yeah, um, no, I agree. That's more likely. But yes, no, that that won't happen. Um, I don't expect an, an amendment to be passed that would set zero inflation. The, the incentives are such that the government really is dependent on inflation and to get rid of it entirely is just not going to happen. If it did, would it have the same outcome, do you think? As what? In, in other words, if if inflation was, air quotes, outlawed, if, mm-hmm. print, if printing money, if increasing the money supply was outlawed, I, I still think, but this could just be because it's always been this way my entire life, I still think just taxes would go up. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Taxes would go up and um, the... You'd start having people hoard money for the same reason that you that you pointed out, right? Mm-hmm. Because money gets destroyed, money uh, gets lost, money, um, you know, for for any number of reasons, money exits the supply at a somewhat constant rate, and so it starts to basically become deflationary, even if you're you weren't intending it to be so. So especially for physical currencies, zero inflation is just not a very practical way to run things. And this is true of, of cryptocurrency as well. You know, people lose their access to their wallets and money's lost forever. Mm -hmm. So that is, that's a problem that zero inflation doesn't really account for. Mm. Um, Having mobility in the money supply so that it continues to flow is a desirable property. Yeah, exactly. I would rather see policy passed that um, forced predictability mm-hmm. on the inflation rate and just made it more transparent, right? Because <laughs> in the public's mind, inflation is the price of goods going up and it's probably due to shady businessmen. Yeah, exactly. It gets blamed on corporations. and Exactly. Right. Yeah. So having the government take responsibility for what inflation actually is, um, would be a desirable outcome for me. Mm. Cool. Fun conversation. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I just love, I love the, it's like, it's like water to fish, you know, it's like, like a day, probably a day doesn't go by when people don't spend money like everyone. Right. So it's just so common and I think all of these concepts are extreme. I mean, I barely know what I'm talking about and I feel like it's way more than I knew a few years ago because of crypto. And right. I wish more people, I wish more people were, you know, like you said, if it was more transparent, if it was more obvious what was going on. I don't know if it was taught in schools or something like imagine that <laughs> instead of it uh, being, I think this... I slept that day in macroeconomics. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Invisible hand. It's like, is it really, I mean, it is pretty invisible, mm. but there's, it's, it's, you know, it's like, it feels, whether it's good or bad, I think inf- whether inflation is good or bad, I definitely agree that uh, if it were predictable and people weren't like sitting on the edge of their seats every time the Fed, you know, makes a noise about maybe thinking about raising interest rates or something. And it's just like, like, what good does that do anybody? I don't I don't know. Right. So, yeah, um, I'm curious for for you and for what you do looking at, you know, value pricing things. Um we kind of danced around the idea of goods and services that aren't a commodity. Right. Um, 
how do you think this changes? I mean, when you, when you look at inflation, does does it factor into your kind of work in uh, in a broader scale? I mean, you know, when you look at just Jonathan Stark, it's maybe not as obvious, but mm-hmm. um, you know, consulting on the whole or, or something like that. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. So, or, or just luxury goods, um, optional sure. purchases that yeah. are non-trivial. Uh, yes, there is a noticeable hunkering down uh like a sort of you know bear hibernate right bear market and and it it's an it's noticeable when there is increased uncertainty like the silicon valley bank thing just happened and even though that's a small relatively small thing it affected a lot of people but it's relatively small compared to what we're talking about today when when there's threats of war or um or whatever kind of uncertainty it increases people's uh decreases people's risk tolerance and they think more about how they're going to spend their money if they're going to spend their money if now is the right time to do things and so conservative i would say people that are everybody slides a little bit more conservative except for a small percentage of the population who recognizes it as an opportunity to leapfrog Mm -hmm. When, you know, to zag when everyone's zigging. Right. So I think there are, so I think that is the effect is that it sort of polarizes the risk takers uh, from everybody else. And, and that's an extremely small pool of people. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in a, if you are uh, from a business standpoint, from a consulting standpoint, if you are not perceived as the safe choice or the, the, uh, safe isn't maybe the right word. The best bet. If you are not perceived as the best bet, then you are probably not going to attract that sliver of the population that does want to leapfrog, does want to take this time to invest in their business. Uh, it's like, oh, business is slow. Instead of panicking and uh, cutting prices or laying people off or something like that, it's like, look, yeah, it's slow because a lot of people aren't buying. If you've got the cash flow, then or you know cash reserves then it's a great time to do what nobody else is doing which is invest in your business so for consulting it was just funny we were just having this conversation yesterday uh if you're a consultant you've got enough money in the bank to live a year maybe and you're just not you're not getting uh, as much as many sales as you were the previous year you sort of have two options you can do the panic thing which is you know, thrash your list with sales offers or, you know, reach out in desperation to past clients, slash your prices, um, go down market. And instead of doing brains work, go back to doing hands work that you haven't done for a while, but just because it's, it's uh, easier to sell, uh, it's lower ticket, whatever, like going backsliding, basically, and you could do that, or you could take this year and write an amazing book and set yourself up for a huge next year. So you know, it, it does come down to cash flow. If you don't have the money to put food on the table, like you got to do what you got to do. Right. But, uh, that if it, it feels like that right now, it feels like I'm noticing cause I'm in touch with enough people, you know, hundreds of people who are all self-employed and, and need to be out there selling. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing it from people like, you know, in, in January in particular, there's a lot of people like, is this, this month seems slow to anybody else, (laughs) you know? So 
uh, perception becomes reality, I think, in a lot of ways with this stuff. Right, right. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about the, uh, the angle of, you know, how services react to this. Um, I mean, granted, you know, we, we've got the, the commodity apple farmer, right? That's, that seems a little bit easier to, to wrap your head around, but yeah, even when it comes to consultants and, um, you know, anybody who's doing these, uh, big ticket optional type arrangements, um, I mean, I, I used to work in big tech and I saw with the, you know, they, they'd cut back on vendors every time there was this, you know, layoffs here. And, and so, yeah, if you had a big contract, um, that's going to be pretty tenuous. Right. For, because for companies like that, I mean, Facebook's not laying off people because they can't afford to keep them. They're laying off people. Well, this is me talking out of school, but, sure. but in my opinion they're not it's not because they can't afford those people or they can't afford those salaries it's because they need they want to goose their stock price they want to be able to say to investors oh we made the hard decisions and you know mm -hmm. it's you know probably every quarter until you know uh until things feel like they're turning around it's going to keep happening right because they want to be able to say to investors like you were making the tough choices and yada 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 cutting costs to because they want their numbers to look they want their profits to remain uh, higher than they would otherwise. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, that's a really good example of what you're talking about with this, either kind of following the market or going against it. Cause I mean, we see examples of, um, companies that just ignore the stock price entirely and have a longer outlook than that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, on the whole, I'm sure it doesn't work out all the time. Um, but those are the the companies that you see that make moves against the market, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. If you can afford to do it, it's like, uh, I mean, the quote, I, I always love the quote from Littlefinger in Game of Thrones where, you know, Varys and Littlefinger are talking about, you know, if, if some decision that they're trying to make and, and Varys is like, that would be insane. It would throw the whole the whole kingdom into chaos. And, and Littlefinger goes, chaos is a ladder. And, you know, because he's he was like, it, it's an opportunity because the natural order air quotes is not natural. Right. But the, the air quotes natural order is upset. And so someone yeah. who's kind of low down the totem pole w is going to be more attracted to chaos because they have less to lose. And so they, mm -hmm. and they could end up on top. So for companies that think like that and mm -hmm. have the money to stay afloat, you know, the reserves to stay afloat, they can do some really interesting things in theory. But Anyway, easier yeah. said than done. Yeah, I mean, this is this is very true in in strategy games too, which are <clears throat> always a good example of <laughs> bigger concepts, right? If you're winning, then you want to keep doing what's working. You want to control the amount of chaos. You want to limit the choices your opponent has. And if you're losing, you want to make as much chaos as possible to hopefully find an opportunity where you can flip it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Good stuff. Cool. Absolutely. Well, Luke, always a pleasure. Where can people go to find out more about what you're doing? Maybe sign up for your list or check out your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, both the podcast and the newsletter are at thecoinpress.com. That's the coin, K-O-I-N press.com. And uh, yeah, I've been writing daily there. It's been a little less than daily while I've been doing a lot of app development. Um, but at least a couple times a week, I get a post out and then uh, podcast has been weekly for a while and 
um, should be cross posting this one there at some point. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the next one, Jonathan. Very good. Yeah. Talk to you again soon, hopefully. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time on Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.